Can you hear me okay? Yep. Okay. Well, before I start, I'll answer probably some really, really big questions that I'm sure some of you have asked yourself. Does James own a suit? (laughs) Question number one is answered. I do. Question number two, did James pick July 4th as his day to speak when he was asked? Absolutely. Because I knew this would probably be fairly empty and give me a chance to really get my feet wet, right? And the last is, and probably the biggest of them all, is can James make it to church before 10 o'clock, even when he's speaking? No. I was late. So I guess all three... uh, can be answered now, we can all put ourselves at rest. But um, I don't want to start crying so early, uh, but I will, I'm sure, throughout this. Um, so, uh, just much like Randy spoke last week, um, I'm sure there's not much enlightening things I can give you and, and like he said and as Dr. Stokes puts it a lot of be able to walk away uh, the higher level of consciousness right um, but it sounds like we're getting a little feedback Mike um, but what I do want to do is, is share my testimony uh, as you see I'm sure Allie looks like she's getting me some tissues so that, that's Oh, get you for you. Okay, good. If I cry, you all got to cry. Um, this room is definitely intimidating. And uh, having Dr. Stokes in the room, obviously, puts it at a much higher level. Um, but I want to walk through uh, my own life's journey a little bit. And uh, as you see later on, I'll, I'll dwell mostly on a big portion uh, within a specific time frame. But... Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, um, a faith that was passed down from generations, um, one of which even passed down a Bible to me in complete German, um, knowing that it came from my grandparents or even a generation before where it was uh, given and passed down. Um, I do have to say, though, that that Bible, uh, this is big, and you know that, that skit where if you have a 10-pound Bible, you're, you're a believer. Well, that one's probably about 20, so I think I'm extra saved. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but no, I, I grew up in a, a church, Southern Baptist Church in, in Anaheim, Southern California. I can't say it now because it's now sandals. Um, but uh, Crescent Southern Baptist Church, um, where my parents served in, the, in a large portion, uh, at least for me growing up there, um, within the youth. Uh, I don't know how they did it, but every winter trip they'd go up and cook for us all. And you have 150 youth there and they're, they're slaving away before the sun even rose. Um, uh, both of them can certainly attest to uh, their ministries in life, but um, just really speaking truth into mine was uh, at an early age. Um, my dad spent most of his career, or all the career in which I knew most, of owning his automotive shop. Um, Though it may not be a breadwinner, it certainly showed me an example of a man that um, puts ministry as part of his his daily living. 
um, use that as an opportunity to be able to share the gospel with others. That's the part I'm supposed to be crying at. Uh, but he used it as an opportunity to share. Oftentimes, sending people away without even charging them, giving them parts, giving them repairs. Um, always made an effort to make it to my games. Speaking of which, my mom will never miss one. Um, she travels wherever she can to be part of them. Both me, both uh, family, the rest of my family. Um, we certainly had some challenges and trials in our own home, uh, in which uh, my parents definitely showed some endurance, um, some love, some hard and tough love. Um, even at the, the later stages of me living in the home, uh, they even uh, they took on two six-month-old twins of my sister's. So here I am almost ready to give them an empty nest, and here they are starting all over again. Pouring more love into somebody else. Uh, So what a testimony of which my parents was able to demonstrate for me. So at the age of 14, I did make a decision. Uh, I did try to make one at 7, but I don't know that I knew what that meant other than my sister was doing it, so I got to follow, right? Um, but at 14, I, I, I figured out what um, a relationship with Christ looks like. So I rededicated my life and uh, really made it my profession at that point in my life. Um, certainly had my struggles across along the way. I wouldn't say that they were uh, too entrenched in too much evil, but certainly had my steps of uh, the path, which may be a different direction. But um, for the most part, I'd say that... Uh, I've been blessed with great friends, great accountability, um, great youth groups, uh, great old roommates from college um, to be able to help me along my path. But before I go too much further, I want to read uh, the scripture or the text in which um, I, want to, I want to really hopefully get some, some biblical text to within my testimony. So it's in Luke Chapter 24, verse 13 through 35. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, or they stood, yeah, they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word and sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him 
to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find the body. They came, saying, and that they had seen, or also seen, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those uh, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But he, they, or, but he, they did not see. And he said to them, "O oh, foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all the, all believe all that the prophets have spoken." was not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things to enter into his glory. Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though uh, he was going on further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting to, uh, toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while we were, tra- or while we were speaking to us on the road? while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So we think about that, that walk and it's approximately about a seven-mile journey between Jerusalem to Emmaus. But if you think about that journey of which, and what I've um, labeled the, this message about is missing the presence of God. Um, there's two real things of which you could take from missing the presence of God. One is, I'm just surely missing it. It's, it's just not here. I want that presence, right? I'm, I'm longing for it. Or the other could be that I'm missing it because it's there and I just don't see it. And so when I look through my testimony and the part in which I want to share, I experience this. Maybe not where um, I'm grieving the death or the the resurrection of Christ, but rather the death of my nephew. And where I miss God's presence in that moment. Sorry. I'll first start uh, on September 10th, 2011. So, God bless me here. In which he gave my daughter's birthday, 9-10-11. If you didn't catch that, September 9-10-11. Helps daughters remember that. So, God bless me with that one. But we were blessed with Ezra. So, certainly a blessing, right? Uh, a child of its own. But also some blessings of which we didn't expect. Or really make as a, a true petition, but rather that, you know, we would love to have a son, we would love to have a daughter, hopefully in that order, so he can protect the daughter, or my, my sister, or his sister, um, 
but what a what a blessing it is, and being able to hold a, a new child. Um, it's funny though; we could probably go to Jen and ask her really what led up to uh, the actual birth of Esri. Um, the version's actually pretty funny. Uh, while we're on the on the way to the hospital, um, I asked if we can stop to get food. <laughs> Just don't ask that when your wife's got a contraction one on top of the other. Probably not good timing. But I just like selfishly like I'm gonna get a headache if I <laughs> if I have to endure her going through the 23 hour pregnancy or or labor of Micah. Like I'm thinking the same thing, right? Certainly was not the case. Um, we got to the hospital. We did not go to McDonald's like I wanted. Um, and by the way, I don't eat there. No. Um, uh, but no, we, we were on the way, and um, I determined, you know, this is probably not good timing to become the midwife, like Brian Stever was for his wife. I'm, I'm not built for that. So let's go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital, and uh, certainly was uh, just overjoyed with our daughter. As we didn't, we didn't uh, ask or, or uh, seek what the gender was of our child. Uh, either one of them, and so when Ezra was born, it, it certainly was a blessing to see that we kind of got that wish, right? So as we're starting to transition and, and navigate through the new life of two children, uh, within an exact two-week period, as I was at UPS on a Saturday, I got a phone call. Um, one I'll never forget. Sorry, I don't, if I don't look that way. My mom called me. And it's early in the morning, so that's not... Uh, as you know, I'm not much of a... Jeremy can definitely speak to it. I'm not a phone person. Getting in a conversation on the phone is just not me. So my mom called me in the early in the morning. I'm like, okay, she knows I don't talk, so what's going on here? Um, but I instantly knew something was wrong. And she shared with me that the Orange County sheriffs had showed up to... My sister and brother on his porch earlier that morning to say that Rudy was in a car accident and he didn't make it. So my instant trigger or thought was, what was my uncle out on the freeway at 2 to 3 in the morning for, right? What, what was he there for? And as the conversation continued to transpire, I come to realize it wasn't my ne- or my uncle, it was my nephew. Because he's also Rudy. We usually call him RJ, and she uses the name Rudy. So as I was trying to process this, because it obviously is all coming in as a shock. Um, it took me a moment to pick myself up off my desk at work. To rush out of work, to go home. Um... I had kept my composure. I just told my team I had to go home. I had a family emergency until I saw my boss in which I shared that I had just lost my nephew. Certainly was a rough drive home. Um, it's hard to see through tears as much as like it's going to be probably hard for me to see through tears here. But um, I got home, shared with my wife what was going on as we had our moment um, I rushed to my sister's house so that I can be with her and be with the rest that were gathering together. 
Most of you may know this story or along this, some of this story, but I hope to bring uh, some sort of message through this process. Um, but as I got there at uh, my sister's house, uh, I certainly saw brokenness. Because you can only imagine um, losing a child. And it's not supposed to happen, let alone be your first grandchild. So as my sister is on the chair, just absolute, just broken. She's not one to receive hugs, right? So I don't know how to interact, don't know how to engage. Um, but it was just a blessing to actually walk into the house and there'd be a lot of people there. With a lot of um, love that you felt that was present. But certainly was a full of shock. So, as we're processing through this, um, you can only imagine what it would take uh, families, um, parents, grandparents, those involved in the situation to be able to navigate um, the next couple days, right? you got an 18-year-old nephew in which you need to now bury. And so... They may not be in this order, but these are the things that transpired the next couple of days. As we continued to question and wonder, what happened? How did it happen? Was he alone? Was he texting? Was he calling? Was he, what was he doing in order to be able to get in a car accident, a solo car accident, at 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning? So as we're trying to piece those things together... Um, one of the steps, and I think it was the next day, in which we were asked to go to his truck. I couldn't imagine um, anybody having to do that, but my dad, myself, and my brother-in-law all went. Uh, another brother-in-law, not, a, not RJ's father, but... To go locate his truck, uh, which was in an impound yard. Um, we first went to the scene of the accident, in which we were told... Um, trying to locate belongings, anything that we could to see if we can find a cell phone, anything that would try to help us give some sort of closure to the situation. So after going to the scene, not finding it, going to the truck, which uh, was a horrific scene, we couldn't find anything. And so we called, or they called us and said, hey, have you found a cell phone? You know, have you found anything? Um... And I'm like, no, I mean, when we started describing some of the things we saw in the truck as we're there, and they said, it looks like a, a cassette cape, uh, tape. And we're like, oh, I saw that in the truck. I didn't grab it because I thought, who's going to keep a cassette tape? So I didn't think they'd want it. So we went back, got the phone, brought it home, and it was able to actually get us through some closure, right, of some something to see, was he texting, and he was not. Some other things that, that uh, transpired the next couple of days, obviously, is we've got to go find a plot, trying to find a casket, um, trying to find who can do the service, where we can do the service. Several vigils, uh, one which was at Cypress High School, um, in which they blessed us with, and another was at Cal Baptist, as he had just started college. He was three weeks into college, starting as a baseball player, um, really starting to become his own man away from home. 
And we found out that he was basically on his way back to Cal Baptist at this time when he got in the accident. So those are the things that transpired and in, in obviously going through the service and then burying uh, our nephew. Um, it, it was quite the experience. We had a really large service, um, but some huge blessings that came out of it. But what I really want to talk about is the stages of my grief. Absolute shock like I spoke to. Fear. Obviously, some of the times we have this fear of, was he saved? Right? Most of when we lose members of our family, we wonder that same thing. Or loved ones or friends, were they saved? Right? Another thing that I selfishly had was, did he forgive me? There's some challenging times in which I had to have with that young man. In a good way. Hopefully in a, in a, a brotherly, love, Christian way. Um, but I don't know that I got closure from the last time I had that, had that conversation. And whether he forgave me. Anger. Primarily directed towards God. I'm not going to lie. 18 year old. Taken off this earth without... Any kind of warning, but just sudden. There's an anger. I had some anger towards RJ himself. Why are you on the freeway at 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning? It left me clinging to my own child or children, especially my son. Putting myself in the mindset of my sister or my brother-in-law and losing their own really put me to reflect on whether I can endure something like that. I had to cling. I had to hold. I kind of put it this way, and it's funny, but um, I think the first time you become a parent, you put your child in the back seat, and you make your way home from the hospital, and it's like, stop speeding! Get away! You got this buffer around your car, right? And that's kind of how I was with my own children at that time of my, my grieving process. I've said this several times. I might even have said it here. Where there's a period of my grief of which I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be hugged. I wanted to be held. Um, but even if that was given to me, I don't know that I'd accept it. And I don't know how else to put that. Because I did. And you guys did. But I don't know if I accepted it. And in some ways today, even though it's almost exactly 10 years, two months away from now, it's going to be two, 10 years, is even today is part of my grief or my grieving process. So if we look back at that seven miles of road that Cleopas, and what the commentaries perceive is, I think, Mary, his wife. But regardless of who that conversation was with, Jesus woke up on, walked up on this conversation in which they didn't see Jesus. Though we can debate, and it says in the scriptures, that their eyes were prevented from seeing him. I'd say in a lot of ways, my grieving process, I almost prevented myself from seeing him. Right, And I think in, in a lot of ways in our life, we can do that same thing. Where we are 
clean and asking, and please, Lord, be here present. And He is. And He's given presence. And He's given those arms of love or those extensions of grace, those extensions of community. But are we willing to accept it? So I wanted to go through where God was present and where I missed His presence in this situation. And I already spoke to one of them, which Ezra was born two weeks earlier. It's already something written. God knew what was going to take place two weeks right after Ezra was born. And I have to say, Ezra was a piece of healing for us. It gave the comfort of life even though we had just lost one. The day in which we went to uh, Tammy and Rudy's house, or my sister and brother-in-law's house, um, and seeing her broken, the moment we were able to hand Esri to her, just to hopefully give some sense of peace, you could see it come, right? That's God's presence. Where I missed in that conversation on my seven road, our seven mile road. When we heard of the tragedy, and I've said this before as well, one of our immediate questions was, what the heck happened? Right? How did this accident happen? Were there any other cars involved? Was he on his phone, occupied with something else? Was there someone else in the car? What? So there's some some bits of piece of the story that uh, you can't say that was not God. My sister and brother-in-law got a, uh, I don't remember how they were contacted, but text or call, social media, something of which an individual came forward to describe and give us peace or give us some closure of what did happen. As he was traveling down the freeway with my nephew on the 91 freeway, He just said he just drifted off the road. He wasn't speeding. He wasn't going erratic. But all of a sudden, he just started to drift. And he didn't know what to do. But it seemed as though nothing was wrong. He was not intoxicated or was not swerving around the street or the road, but rather just drifted. Think about that. In which... How does someone from Riverside get a hold of someone in Orange County to say, hey, this may be something that you need to know, let alone connect those two people? It's got to be God, in my mind. Another question was, did he suffer? Was he alone when he died? He was only 18 years old and had to have been scared. We prayed to have answers. So when Cypress High School announced and put out on social media that they were going to have a vigil for my nephew, um, it was it, we, we saw that it was going to be a pretty big gathering. We felt that it was necessary that the family to be there. Um, as Obviously, Cypress, as he grew through those four years of life, was a big piece of his life. And we wanted to know who impacted his life there, as well as how much impact he had to others. But through that process, yet again, another, what I would say is a Samaritan, 
contacted my sister and brother-in-law. This Samaritan was a pediatric nurse. And she rolled up on the accident shortly after it had taken place. So, as you can imagine, uh, 2 to 3 o'clock on the 91 freeway, it's pretty dark. But she rolled up onto something that she didn't know what had happened. But she saw the truck on the side of the road. So she stopped, thinking that this is at the end of a shift, as you can imagine, a, a tired nurse in a pediatric care. Um, came to the, to the accident, and she saw that uh, the truck was uh, positioned where she can potentially get in and help. Uh, so she got into the, the truck on the passenger side from what she told us. And what she said and described of the situation is God. Going back to that question of, did he suffer? Was he alone? She said as she crawled in the passenger side, she looked at him. And without us prompting and without any kind of questions, she said, he looked at complete peace. He was in his driver's seat, just basically calm, and looked as though God had just taken him. The same Samaritan uh, described what happened in her life the next couple hours, where she woke up, uh, as you can imagine, just after a shift. Um, goes home to get some rest. Just came off of a terrible accident. She gets home, tries to rest. Within a couple of hours, she wakes up in a panic. And says, I need to go back to the scene. So she goes back to the scene and she thinks to herself, if I'm the mother of this child, as I just witnessed, I need to know some more. I need to, like, there's belongings along the road. They need those. Don't know how I'll get it to them. Don't know if I'll ever meet them. But I got to get them. So she went back to the scene and collected everything she could. She got clothes, belongings. His baseball glove, which was a big piece of our raising of RJ and part of his life. And she brought it to the vigil that we had at Cyprus. So again, when you think about someone in Riverside that just went through this, how does that get connected outside of God? Especially when we've got the questions of wondering. What happened did he suffer? Was he alone? Other places of which God showed his presence and which I maybe have ignored is each of you or those that are on Zoom line. Is offerings of prayer, of meals, care for our children, All of those pieces of which then God is just using His community to be able to surround us with His love. But like I said earlier, I didn't know that I wanted to accept it. And that was just my stage of grief, but yes, also missing His presence. 
Cal Baptist reimbursed my sister and brother-in-law. They're his full tuition, his board. That's a blessing. Cal Baptist Baseball placed a memorial case in their clubhouse in which it still stands there today. Which, honestly, the coach there has been just an amazing piece of our lives now in which he uh, provides my sister some opportunity to speak with the team every year. Um be a piece of that team because she didn't get to experience it with her own child after only three weeks into the process of Cal Baptist. They retired his baseball number, which he barely even wore, as you can imagine. Um, even after the service, several boys of uh, RJ's youth came up to us just to say what a blessing he was. Um, as well as the Cal Baptist vigil that they hosted, just the blessing and, and, and knowing what had happened in these three weeks of time and the impact he's making on their lives at church or at, at, the, at the campus. It was awesome to see that people were, were just blessed by my nephew, which again is just a piece of knowing um, that God is present. So, really, my message, or where I would say I wanted to tie this into the Scripture, is how many times in our lives, and I'm sorry that it's such a dramatic entry into this message, but how many times in our lives have we missed His presence? I don't know how many times I've asked for maybe a new job, (laughs) new boss, (laughs) um... Obviously, the blessing of being fed, a roof over our head, um, the prayer for healing. How many times simple things like just missing an accident on the road just by minutes, seconds. Those are blessings in which we miss the presence of God sometimes. So as though this is a, a, a definitely a tough way to hear it, but for me, it's a piece of which has now given me somewhat of closure to a stage of life which was one of the roughest I've ever experienced. But also a reflection, a self-reflection of where I may have missed God's presence. And in both instances of missing it because I just felt like I needed it. But also missing it because it was present and I completely brushed it off as though it was there. So I guess I would challenge each of us to um, when we do put our petitions before the Lord and we do ask for uh, His peace or His mercy on our lives, be accepting of it. Because it may not come in the form in which you think. It may not come in the way in which we expected. But through this situation and through this part of my life, He more than blessed me. Though I still am without a nephew. And that piece is I can't get back. But what I can get and what I can cling to is the piece of what he's provided over the situation and circumstance. Let's pray. Dear Father.